Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. And then we will uh, get into it, all right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, details Sarah's faith for us. It says in Hebrews 11, 11, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, a.k.a. to get pregnant. And she bore a child when she was past the age. She did this because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. This is the word of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks this morning for the gift of your word, the presence of your spirit. I think of also just the, the plans in your heart for this time. We thank you, God, that we have a lamp to our feet. We have a guide. We have a shepherd who's with us. You're with us when our faith is high, and you're with us even when our faith is at its lowest. And you're carrying us forward. You're growing us. You're increasing our faith, even if we don't feel it. And so today, as, as we're here, knowing this in your presence, we just pray first, God, for receptive hearts, for available hearts to experience what you want to do in our lives, something new that you want to do. You know, right now, despite what you've done, there's something new for you to do. And ultimately, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you want to say to us, whatever that new thing is, that new work you want to do, that fresh thing. God, as we pray each and every week, we invite your Holy Spirit to be here and to speak to us. Each week, God, I I prepare a sermon, I take some time to study and outline and pray through what to say, but now our hope is ultimately in hearing from you. I pray that you would so get me out of the way in this moment, God, that we would walk away from this time feeling like, knowing that we heard from you, that you spoke to us. Thank you, God, that you speak. We ask for your Holy Spirit to do that now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so each chapter that we are, or each verse that we're looking at in this chapter, we are zooming in on the different quality or characteristic of faith that these individuals are displaying. There's a principle in that, that faith is something that is not just felt, but it's something that's seen, it's something that's displayed. What you truly believe is going to be seen in how you behave. Your behavior is the greatest expression of your faith. And here in this chapter, as we are Uh, Focusing in on Abraham's wife, Sarah, the feature of faith for Sarah is that Sarah considered God by faith. Sarah considered God by faith. And that might seem like a simple concept. We're going to build this out and see the real power in how and when Sarah considered God and, and what that can mean for us today. Uh, If you're taking note, why don't you write these four things down? These are the four things about Sarah's faith that we want to look into this morning. Uh, We want to look at the Hebrew story of Sarah's faith, the Hebrew story, number one. We want to look at, number two, the highlighted strength of Sarah's faith. 
Number three, we're going to look at the hidden struggle of Sarah's faith. And then lastly, we're going to look at the hopeful statement of Sarah's faith. I went all in on the pastoral alliterations today. The Hebrew story, the highlighted strength, the hidden struggle, and the hopeful statement of her faith. Uh, Let's begin with the Hebrew story of Sarah's faith. This is the background of this verse. This is the context that gives us an idea of what's going on here in Hebrews 11. 11. This passage here in verse 11 is, let me put the verse up for you. Where is it? Right here. Hebrews 11, 11. This passage is referring to one of the many promises that God gave Abraham, Sarah's husband. That's the context of what we're, we're studying here for the past few weeks. We're looking at Abraham's faith in the context of God promising him some really crazy things. God calling him and promising him some things that he could never imagine on his own. Things like a land and a property for him. Things like a future of blessing, not just for himself, but for many other people, for the whole world that would be blessed through Abraham. Uh, One of the promises that God gave Abraham, in his old age even, was a promise to be the father of many nations, the father of many people, the father of multitudes. In fact, that's where Abraham actually gets his name. Abram just meant the father. Abraham meant the father of many or the father of multitudes. So, So that's the context of what's going on here. And in fact, the language there in verse 12, where it says that as many were born to him, as there are stars in the sky, uh, in multitude, innumerable as the sandwiches by the seashore, that language of Abraham's lineage is the same language that's used in Genesis 15 when God makes this promise to Abraham. And God is, this is something that's, I think, relatable, at least to me. God, from time and time again, is, is reminding Abraham of what he said to him. He's constantly reaffirming his promises. He's not just saying it once, kind of one and done. Hopefully you can remember and believe it. But anytime Abraham is struggling in faith, I love that God does this. He shows up and lifts his eyes back to what's true. Over and over and over again, God is reassuring and reaffirming his promises to Abraham. And in Genesis 15, you have the language that's on this, um, let me turn that, that's on this uh, in in Hebrews 11 here. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Now, some time has passed here since God has made some of these promises. And as we looked at last week, Abraham at this point is in one of those waiting seasons where he's having to look forward by faith to what God said is going to come to pass. But Abraham's kind of struggling, and God's reminding him, Abraham, don't, don't Don't be afraid, all right? I'm going to take care of you. I'm your reward. Abraham's response is, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? You you told me that I'm going to be the father of many nations, but I'm not even the dad of a single kid yet. He says, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. You know, and this is one of his hired servants, his his, uh, top employee. And, And Abraham's like, God, this is, right now I'm poor Eleazar. I'm not sure what this guy's like. I feel like he's just the language that Abraham's using, it's like Abraham doesn't want his stuff to go to this guy, Eleazar. He's like, this is the only guy I got. He's the one that's going to get my stuff. And he's over there like, yeah, you know. And God's like, this is, this, this, or Abraham goes, this is the one who's going to get everything. And the Lord said to him, look, or Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my, not born in my house is my heir. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then here's that promise again. Then he brought him outside. Such a cool moment here. Brought him outside into the starry sky. He said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. I know right now you're seeing zero, but I want you to to believe me for something that's going to blow your mind. What I'm going to do as innumerable as the stars in the sky. Now, that's the context. Hebrews 11, again, is using that language that from Abraham, today you have the the lineage of this. Uh, The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, are one of the greatest evidences to the trustworthiness of God's word, to the reality and the existence of God. God's like, these are my people. I'm going to protect them. They're going to go through a lot on earth, but my hand will always be upon the Jewish people. And then in that, you also have the evidence to God's faithfulness, that when he says something, as impossible as it sounds from the rationale of man, if God says it, you can trust it. If God says it, you should trust it. We can trust it. So Abraham, we see, he he sees this promise come to pass eventually. But there's a principle that we're looking at here in Hebrews 11 with Sarah, okay? Poor Sarah. Like, I love that the author's like, okay, Abraham... Great faith. That's awesome. Let's talk about your wife, okay? The unsung hero of this whole story, that when you look at the story of Abraham, she has to endure all sorts of trouble because of this guy. That whole thing in Egypt, hey, Sarah, pretend you're my sister, okay? Because you're really attractive and they'll kill me, all right, if I tell them that you're my wife. So so Sarah has kind of had to go along with the folly of her husband. It's the first time in history this has ever happened, all right? going along with the folly of her husband and enduring a lot of different things. And and really, in the story of Abraham, there's a really powerful principle that's displayed here even in this verse. The principle is that every promise that God is giving Abraham, it's completely involving Sarah. So when God says, hey, uh, Abraham, get out of your country from your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. I'll show you when we get there, by the way. I want you to go out not really knowing where you're going, but knowing that I'm calling you to go. Go. So Abraham gets Sarah in the car, and she gets in the car, and she goes, hey, you drive, I'll navigate, right? She has the phone. Where do we go? What are the coordinates? He's like, honey, there are no coordinates, okay? There's just gas in the car, and I'm going to go, and we're going to see where we end up. And so she, listen, the the calling that God put on this man is a calling that he also put on this man's marriage. It was a calling for Sarah as well to follow her husband by faith. Um, This is such an important principle to remember. Um, You know, I know for, for my own journey of faith in the past decade or so, really the past five years, but mostly it kind of was the span of a decade, the Lord called called me to step out of my own comfort zone, my own country, my own comfort zone, into church planning. He said, I'm calling you to go out of the old into something new. And, you know, if you know my wife, my, Brittany's amazing. And she's totally the kind of uh, wife who, who would say the kind of the, re, the Ruth uh, statement, like, your people, my people, where you go, I'll go. Unless it's like New Jersey or something, you know, like, where's Russ? Okay. Um, um, You know, just kidding, okay? All right. I love Russ. Um, 
your people, your, my people, where you go, I'll go. You're God, my God, you're my husband. I trust your lead. Now, from the very beginning, my wife has felt a calling to follow where the Lord's called me to serve him in ministry. But as we were navigating and discerning the process of stepping out of our comfort zone to start something new, this was a time, and I remember it was such an important time to make sure that we were both in unity for what God's calling us to do, husbands and wives. Okay, husband, God's called you to do it, but is there unity between you and your, and your wife? She has the Holy Spirit. She has a relationship with God. What's he speaking to her? Or have you settled for, I'm the man, I'm going to lead, you follow me? You know, Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, what's interesting about this verse is it's, it's, it's a question. And the answer to this can be very complex, can it? Like, can two walk together unless they're agreed? Well, kind of, right? That might be one answer. Sort of. I mean, yes, but is there going to be unity? Is there going to be harmony? I can tell you how many church plants I've seen failed in the name of a calling that God's put on the man that his wife wasn't feeling or sensing. There wasn't unity there. Or the timing, this is huge with calling, maybe the timing wasn't right. The right timing is huge. Not just the right thing, but the right time. And so the, the marriage suffers on behalf of the ministry, or the, or the, the wife suffers on behalf of the calling. Now, all this to say, this is God's heart. When God calls a man, God calls a marriage. God calls a woman. And so Brittany and I had this great opportunity to practice this. And we, we, I remember, uh, some of you guys know this story. Like before um, we, we took this step, it was like we need at least one more week. Brittany, you're going to go pray and fast. I'm going to go pray and fast. And we're going to come back after this week. And we're going to compare notes about what the Lord has been speaking to us. Um, and, and we did that. This was not just my calling. This was Brittany's calling. This has been my family's calling. My children have been called to plant Solace Church. Um, and uh, that was a really cool, I want to just say as a testimony, when we did that, we came back together after a week, and we both, when we went to compare our notes of what the Lord had spoken to us, we both were sharing the same exact verses. So we both got led to Joshua 1, Moses is dead, therefore go. It's time to go. And, and just listen, this is what God's heart is. This is his plan. It takes hard work to walk in unity. It's not a simple, hey, Andrew and his wife, they took a week to fast and pray, and it all worked out. Go fast and pray, and then you'll follow me. You know, like it, it's, it's a messy process sometimes to agree upon what the Lord is doing. But when we seek him, we find him. And he wants to guide us. Husband, he wants to guide you. Wife, he wants to guide you. And this is just a great reminder that comes out of this. God tells Abraham, and this is a, a perfect example of this, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. But guess who that affects? The woman who's going to carry this guy's children, okay? It'd be like if I went to Brittany and said, hey, babe, the Lord told me we're going to have a fourth. We're not, by the way, this is not an announcement in case you're wondering. Okay. If I said to Brittany, babe, three, but the Lord showed me the number of four, it's the new number of completion, and we're going to have four. And she would go, that's great that the Lord spoke that to you about a fourth child, but guess who has to carry that child? Guess who has to birth that child and nurture that child, you know? And so you, you imagine this with, with Sarah. The Lord is putting a calling on Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations, but I want you to notice in Genesis 17, God also changes Sarah's name. God said to, Sarah, uh, said to Abraham, as for Sarah or Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her new name. And this name means this, I will bless her and give you a son by her. 
And then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Isn't that cool? Abraham, just as you're going to be the father of nations, this calling, is, is that's for you. And I also am going to call your wife. She's going to be the mother of nations. King of peoples shall come from her. When God calls a man, God calls a marriage, the two shall become one. Just such a beautiful display of this truth. So that's the Hebrew story, the backstory of her faith. Now, let's look at what Hebrew shows us as the highlighted strength of her faith. How then, in this context, did Sarah display faith? What strength in Sarah's faith does Hebrews 11 highlight? Well, it tells us there again in Hebrews 11, 11, by faith Sarah received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child, notice this, when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who promised. So she has the same calling as her husband and then she exerts this incredible faith in the face, listen closely, Sarah's faith is couched in the context of impossibility. The circumstances surrounding Sarah's faith is to be a mother and for Abraham to be a father in their old age, when they were barren, when there wasn't fruit of the womb. I actually love the way that it says it. Um, this is so respectful. To Sarah, it says that she's past the age. She's past the age. Do you remember what it said for Abraham? Abraham was as good as dead. <laughs> I love that. All right. Okay, a little interesting comparison there. Sarah, sweet and lovely Sarah, she's past age. Abraham is as good as a, a dead guy, okay? All right. But, but again, this is the context. The context here is a circumstance of impossibility. God says to them, you're going to be parents of many nations, even though you are barren, even though you are fruitless at the moment. This is God's word to them. Um, I know... I want to say some, but I, many of us have had to face this in marriage before. You know, this is a hard thing when you have this desire. You want to be a father. You want to be a mother. And you're face-to-face -face with fruitlessness. You're face-to-face -face with, with barrenness. And, you, and, and the journey, there's something so hard but important about walking with God in that season. Walking with the Lord. I've seen... So many different couples with so many different outcomes and testimony have to walk through this. And, and despite whatever the outcome, to see how the Lord really can minister to a couple, how the Lord could really show up and be a faithful presence and a comfort as you're navigating a time like this. Well, this is where Sarah and Abraham are. They're having to believe God in the face of complete impossibility. But, but listen, this is, again, this is her faith. Now, I want you to see, what does Hebrews say in this situation? What does it say about Sarah's faith? When she's faced with this impossible reality, this impossible promise, it tells us about Sarah. What, this is how she's an example to us, by the way. When you and I face impossible situations, when we face difficult situations, okay? You know, either we have, we are, or we will. So when you do, or even if you are, or when you have, here's faith. She considered God faithful. By faith, in the face of the impossibility, Sarah wasn't just mindful at the, of the circumstance. She didn't just consider the improbable odds. She didn't just consider the impossibility. She considered God. That's the word that's used there, that she judged him faithful. 
She judged, the, the word there is literally, she considered him faithful. She thought about God. She said, this is what I'm facing, but hold on, this is who God is. I thought about God, and it changed everything. In fact, when you look at the book of Romans, it talks about kind of this couple's journey in the face of this impossibility. And in Romans 4, it talks about uh, some more detail to this, about how, how, how by faith they considered God. Romans 4 says that not being weak in faith, when they faced this impossible promise, they didn't, this is huge, they didn't consider Abraham's own body, which was already dead, since he was about 100 years old. That'll do it. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, who was about 90 years old. Notice this. They didn't consider the natural. They didn't consider what was around them. Their mind's eye wasn't fixed on the challenge. It goes on to say this. They didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but they were strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. When they thought about the Lord, something happens. When we think about the Lord, we're strengthened in faith faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he is also able to perform. That if God says he will do it, you can trust that he will do it because he can do it. Now, now this is the display that we have from them, that they have a, both Abraham and Sarah in the face of their, of their challenge. They considered God. They didn't consider the, the circumstance. I want to just ask you this morning, what is your impossible that you're facing right now? What is your dead situation? Where is there death in your life? Where is there a lack of life in your life? And the next question would be in light of this, what are you considering? What are you thinking about? Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Sarah considered God in the face of impossibility. You know, as a Christian, a lot of times what we can buy into is this lie and this idea that in order for me to have greater faith, I need to think less, right? Just stop thinking, start believing. That's where faith comes from, right? Isn't it called blind faith? You know, it doesn't make any sense in your mind, but just believe in your heart. Just have more faith. And you're like, I'm trying to, but I've got thoughts, okay? I've got reality in front of me. And I love that scripture, in the face of impossible situations and, and trusting God, I love that, that scripture doesn't say, stop thinking about what's impossible. It doesn't say that. It just says, consider God. Now, Jesus talked this way all the time, and this is all throughout Hebrews, calling people, you know, the main issue with faith often in the Bible is not thinking too much. It's thinking too little about the right things. So you've got to activate your mind. So, you know, real faith comes from thinking about who God is. All of a sudden, when I start considering the Lord, you know, Jesus said, consider the lilies. You're worrying? Stop. Think. That's what he says. Consider the world around you and how God takes care of it, how he's going to take care of you. Are you facing an impossible situation? Okay. Have you considered God? Sarah considers God. Now, it's, it's especially important to see what, the, what she's considering. Did you notice this in verse 11? She considered him, and this is so important, she considered him faithful who promised. This is the, if there's any consideration for your faith this morning, it needs to be that God's faithful. What are you facing right now? What's your impossible? Consider this, God's faithful. And he's especially faithful to do what he's promised to do. He's faithful, let me say this, regardless of what happens. 
He's faithful when there's not a resurrection. But he's especially faithful to do what he said he's going to do. So just as he said he would come the first time, he came. Just as God said Jesus is going to come a second time, he will be faithful to his word, just as he promised. And so this is important for us to remember. I want you to see that with Sarah, the reason why in her circumstance she considered God faithful was because she believed that he was actually able to fulfill the promise. And this is an important point. Um, there's a lot of people that, like, you believe that they want to be faithful, right? Like, they want to, they want to be trustworthy. I don't doubt their heart. Now, their ability... Their ability to do what they've said that they're going to do, that's a whole other story than somebody wanting to be faithful. You know, I, I see this in my walk with Jesus all the time. Jesus, I want to be faithful. My ability to perform that is a whole other thing. But notice this with God. Sarah believed that God was faithful because he was actually able and capable to do what he's promised, his performance. It says in Romans that they believed that God was able to not just promise something, but perform what he's promised. Their mind goes to the Lord. And this is true for any and everything of life, making sure we are taking into account where our minds are going. We, we need to be thinking about what we're thinking about. Thinking about what we're thinking about. And asking myself, am I considering God in the face of this? When I think of this verse, I think of Psalm 8, where David says, when I consider the heavens... You know, when I think about God, how much changes when I just stop and I go, okay. Think of the disciples in the boat as they're losing their minds and Jesus is taking a siesta in the middle of the storm. And they're so conscious of the waves. And then when Jesus calms the storm, they started now to fear him. Whoa. When I consider God, have you lost your consideration of God? But think about him. Think about whatever impossible thing you're facing right now. When I consider that, that in light of this possible situation, God's authority is higher. And this is the God who created the earth out of nothing. When I think about the Lord, when I consider him, my faith grows. When I consider that God saved me when I was dead in my sin, my faith grows when I think about the Lord, when I consider the heavens, when I think about God, I put everything in its proper perspective. I don't begin to interpret God through my circumstance. I begin to interpret my circumstance through my theology, through my understanding of God. Sarah models this faith that considered God in the face of impossibility and God's faithfulness. Now, I want you to see something here. Uh, the second point, as I said, was the highlighted strength of Sarah's faith. And that's really good for us. You know, it's good... It's good to be inspired by people's strengths. But there's another point to this sermon that is, uh, it's not a new thing for those of you who are familiar with Sarah's story. Um, and, and the third point is about the hidden struggle of Sarah's faith. This is really important. You know, we, we can look up to people's strengths but at the end of the day, we really relate to people's weaknesses. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you struggle too? Oh, cool, I'm not alone. And we need both. We need, we need the strengths of faith to show us what God can do in a life. And we also need a community that's willing to be honest with their struggles. Okay? So if every community you show up and all it is is just like your highlight reel, we got to change that. All right, I, I'm thinking about it this way. 
for every highlight reel, there's a blooper reel, isn't there? Like you've, you've got to, by the way, we don't often lead with our blooper reel, do we? Hey, nice to meet you. Here's everything wrong with me. Here's the 10 things I did wrong this week. Here's the 10 ways I haven't trusted God over my life. We're usually like, you know, man, I have a testimony of faith, you know? And we highlight. There's highlight reels. In fact, you know, that's like one of my, for me, that's like one of my favorite things to do is look at some classic highlight reels of, of you know, in case there's any question, it's like Michael Jordan's greatest, greatest plays and greatest moments or, you know, lately been trying to get Judah into golf. It's a challenging sport to break into, especially in Boca, because people are pretentious, okay? But especially golf, okay? But, you know, I've been showing him, like, Tiger Woods' highlight reel, you know, his top ten moments to see how, how, how great, you know, kind of inspires him to want to be great at golf. You know, Hebrews, let me say this, Hebrews 11 is a highlight reel. Hebrews 11, I, I love that for Sarah, if all you knew was Hebrews 11, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, she's amazing. She's one of those Christians that doesn't struggle. No, she's hiding, Okay? There's some hidden things that aren't included here in chapter 11. You see, if Hebrews 11 is the highlight reel, you get the whole story that includes the blooper reel in the book of Genesis, which, by the way, I also love a good blooper reel. The only thing funnier than The Office is The Office outtakes and bloopers, okay? I don't, I've never seen it, but I've heard that, okay? So that's a joke, all right? But the, the blooper reel, it's the mess-ups, and that's Genesis. And, and also, I want to say that this is a pretty cool thing, you know, uh, the point is this, Sarah doesn't have a perfect track record of faith. In some ways, it almost appears dishonest in Romans 4 and Hebrews 11 to say that they didn't even waver. That's generous. When you read the story, you're like, yeah, they wavered a little bit. They, they struggled actually a whole lot. I'm going to show you in a second. And this is just a great reminder too. I just want to say this kind of reminds me of the gospel a little bit. The good news of Jesus Christ for sinners who have bloopers. I love that when God wants to reflect upon Sarah's life, he hides her flaws. And he highlights the things that she did for his kingdom. Isn't that great? Now, it's not hidden secretly. It's just hidden to the naked eye. You can go read about it. But the thing at the end of the day that God highlights about her life, it reminds me of Colossians 3, verse 3, that says that we who are Christians, we've died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. For those who are in Christ, here's the good news of the gospel. All, the, all of your bloopers, all of your fails, all of your sins, they are put on Jesus once and for all. When you get to heaven, you're not answering for those in Christ. Christ took those completely, not partially, but fully. God forgets them. He wipes the slate clean. Isn't that beautiful? But your highlights, he goes, okay, I'm going to reward you for those. Isn't that awesome? I'm not going to focus. Now, we tend to, and this is important for us, because I don't know about, about you, but I tend to be hyper-conscious of my bloopers. Anybody else? Hyper-conscious of my failures. Hyper-conscious of not missing the mark. And there's an importance to, to that with humility, lest we get too puffed up. But, but this is the gospel, that God remembers the things we've done for his kingdom. And through Christ Jesus, he forgets our sins. He remembers them no more. Now, I want to say, kind of on the flip side, the opposite is true for those who don't come to Jesus, for those who don't repent of their sin, for those who don't believe, for the unbelieving the Bible teaches that our sins aren't forgotten, but they need to be paid for. There needs to be justice. And even our greatest highlights will be forgotten and not enough. That's the opposite. The Bible says that even all our righteousness before this holy God, trying to earn his favor, trying to curry his love with our goodness, it's just like filthy rags. It's dirty. It's not worth it. 
But the opposite is true of the gospel, that Jesus became sin on our behalf. So, so a great picture here of the gospel. Through just Hebrews 11, remembering Sarah's faith and kind of turning a blind eye to her weaknesses. But we're going to open that eye. Let's look at those weaknesses, okay? <laughs> when you look at Sarah's struggle, like I said, you have something to relate to because we all struggle in faith. Um, and when you go into Genesis, you, it's interesting. You kind of get a whole, you get a bigger story. You get a fuller story that shows you that Sarah, when she like is hearing about this promise from God, Sarah, you are going to be the mother of many nations at 90 years old. Sarah's response is not, well, I just consider God. And yeah, duh, I'm not considering the deadness of my womb. I'm past age. And my husband, he's good as dead. I trust God. That's actually not the story. You could say, to summarize, when Sarah first hears, when she hears the news about being a mother, her response is not PTL. It's LOL. <laughs> Literally. Let me show you this. It says, And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you through their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me, you, and your descendants, every male child. There's that whole part. And then it goes on to say, where is it? Hold on. We're going to keep going. Oh, we don't have it. You've got to check it out. It's a great book in the Bible, a great chapter, okay? Um, church plant. You know what I mean? Like, this is a church plant. Like, this is how it is, I guess, okay? Uh, one day blooper. Tom, can you come finish the sermon, please? Okay. There's a story in the book of Genesis. It it details this moment where where God is talking to Abraham, reminding him of the fact that his wife is going to be pregnant. The Bible tells us this is such a kind of a cute moment. Sarah is on the inside of the tent. Do you remember this? And she's listening with her ear to the flap of the tent to what God is saying. And the Bible says that she doesn't even LOL. She LQTMs, okay? She says that she laughs quietly to herself, all right? Which, by the way, is what an LOL is, all right? You liars, all right? You didn't laugh out loud, all right? And she laughs. She's in, so God says, your, your wife is going to bear your child. And she, you know, kind of one of those. It's a laugh, by the way, of unbelief. It's a laugh of unbelief. It's, it's, it's a complete laugh of a lack of faith. <laughs> yeah, right. It's one of those. She laughs. She laughs at the sheer impossibility of what God is saying. And it's, it's a really great account because God goes, hey, did, you, did Sarah just laugh? And Sarah goes, no, I didn't laugh. And God goes, no, I, I heard you. You laughed. There's this incredible little dialogue there. But listen, this is, where, this is where God first finds Sarah's faith. The struggle of not believing what's impossible before them. That was quiet. All right. The struggle of the struggle of of not believing in something so absurd, so impossible to wrap her mind around. In fact, if you if you continue to follow the story with Sarah's faith, you, you find um, you find a really sad story that plays out. Uh, in Genesis 16, you guys know this, where, where Sarah, this is like probably the lowest point of her lack of faith. It says Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him nor, nor children. This is after she LOLs. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So check this out. This is what Sarah does. So she said to Abraham, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. She just kind of concludes. She's, she's, by the way, this is pre-Hebrews 11, Sarah. She's considering everything natural here. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. It's like one of the most subtle verses in the Bible. Abraham heeded the voice of his wife. No argument, by the way. Like, 
Yes, dear. Okay. Horrible. Okay. But this, this is a real display. These are two followers of God and servants of God that are as far from faith as any of us can ever imagine. This is where they are. Now, out of this comes Ishmael, comes conflict between two nations. Uh, when you read the book of Galatians, what you find about this blooper is it's, it's described as a blooper of the flesh. If you read the book of Galatians, uh, the Bible teaches there, Paul teaches that Ishmael is the son of the flesh. It's a picture of man kind of taking control. And in this situation, here's the thought process. Okay, God's promised this, but God, let me help you out, expedite, expedite the process with some human solutions. Let, let me step in. Let me help you provide for me. I know you said sit, wait, trust, and believe. That's the way of the Spirit. But for every work of the Spirit, there's always a temptation towards the way of the flesh, isn't there? I'm going to provide. I'm going to do the supernatural. I'm going to get the glory. And then here's this temptation to trust human solutions, to go the way of the flesh, the flesh and the Spirit, always at war with one another in our walk with Jesus. The Spirit is the way of trusting and waiting and praying and watching and following the flesh is the way of doing and going and rushing. It's the way of unbelief. I can tell you too, when we, in starting the church, I feel like, and all the time as a ministry, we're always facing these temptations. There's, there's so many human solutions today for the church. You know, I can't tell you how many ads I get solicited to every other day. Here's how to grow from this to that number overnight. It's like, like you know, and the age old saying is like, if the goal was a, was a crowd... You know, we'd start a fight in a parking lot. Boom, we have a crowd. But, but there's the, listen, for every work of the Spirit, there's always temptation to trust the way of the flesh and to compromise. I want you to think about your own life and where you've seen this as well. God has said, trust me and wait. And where have you taken the reins and settled for a counterfeit version of what he's promised? The way of the Spirit versus the way of the flesh. You know, if, if you're looking for some application of this, you, you don't have to look any further than your own Christian life, which is a life that's meant to be lived in the joy and freedom of the Holy Spirit through faith in what Jesus has done for me. And how often do we take what's of the Spirit and we make it about the flesh, we make it about my works, we make it about earning my salvation, we make it about legalistic rules that make me kind of uh, go up or down on these tiers of morality and spirituality. We, we fall into this trap of the flesh each and every day. In fact, that's the context of Galatians. In Galatians 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Like, if you're a Christian, can I remind you, you are not who you are in Christ today because of your flesh. If that was what it was based on, you'd be hopeless. You are who you are, and you are where you are because of the Spirit of God who has quickened you, who has saved you, who has redeemed you. And the life ahead of you is a life to be lived in the Spirit, not working and earning according to laws, but free in the Spirit to serve one another in love, to live in the gospel. Not to try to earn God's good love, but to live from it in the spirit. Sarah models this struggle, man. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit, which are at war with one another. Uh, we'll close with this last part, and it's the hopeful statement of Sarah's faith. You have the Hebrew story. You have the highlighted strength. She considered God. 
you have this also important part, which is the hidden strength, which is what we can all relate to, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, the temptation to help God out and expedite the process with our own human solutions. At the end of the day, the fact that Hebrews 11, verse 11 exists, it's a hopeful statement for strugglers like you and me. It's a really interesting moment at the end of Sarah's life. In Genesis chapter 21, it says, The Lord visited Sarah just as he said. Because that's always what's going to happen. God's going to do what he said. And the Lord did for Sarah just as he had spoken. And it tells us in Genesis that after visiting her, it says, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. That's a huge part, right, of which God had spoken to him. His timing is everything. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight, dear, eight years old. It says he was 100 years old when Isaac, his son, was born. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear, I love this, how this ends, all will hear are going to laugh with me. I want you to notice something. This is a different laugh. Sarah goes from laughing in unbelief to laughing in disbelief. She goes from laughing, ha ha, that's, that's hilarious. Imagine, yeah, right, that's hilarious, to this joyful laughter at who, who God is. You ever done that? You ever laugh this way, by the way? Where God has been so good that you can't help but just laugh. You see, th this, is a, this is a hopeful statement for you and I. That God doesn't give up on us when he finds our faith where it is. He's patient with our faith. But also God doesn't leave our faith where he finds it. He's purposed to grow us. He wants to change how we laugh. He wants to change us down to the very bottom of our hearts. To make us new people who trust him. Who laugh in joy of who he is and how good he has been. It's a hopeful statement that God is taking you and I every day from faith to faith. I'm not sure where your faith has found you this morning. I'll invite the band to come out as we close. I'm, I'm not sure if, if you resonate more with the strength of Sarah's faith in Hebrews 11 or if you resonate more with the struggle of Sarah's faith in Genesis. The good news of who God is is that it doesn't matter. God is who he is and he's faithful. Faithful means that he is worthy to trust in. Whatever disappointment you've experienced, how long you've been delayed in the process, how impossible the situation before you may look, consider, consider God. Think about who he is. You know, at the end of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, we're, we're going to, I don't want to take too much thunder, we're going to study that as our closing passage from this series. But the author says this, consider even who? Jesus. Christian, consider Jesus. It says, who endured such hostility from sinners. Consider Jesus who went to the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Like, where has your mind's eye been? And what would it look like for you to refix your eyes back upon Jesus? For you to consider him. Consider the faithfulness of God by considering Jesus. Who is the faithfulness of God on display? 
in due time, when you and I were in our most desperate hour of need, God sent his son Jesus to save us, to forgive us, to give us new life, to give us a new hope, to give us a reason to believe when things get hard.